Sif Pop is recorded in front of a live internet audience. How does that? That's good. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. Three people discussing a movie while listening to the people talking to them inside their heads. It's Sif Pop. Yes, it's Sif Pop. We're going to talk some Suicide Squad. Uh, it's Aaron, not Andrew, and Danae. Andrew had to take the week off from his Sif Pop chair. But we do have a guru with us today. Please welcome, from Geekvolution, it's Captain Logan. Hello, everyone. Good to hear from you again, man. We're excited to uh, excited to chat with you. This happens every Friday on Mixler right around 1030. It is available to listen to live or to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Oh. Every week we'll be joined by a pop culture guru to chat about movies, television, and whatever else is on our pop culture minds. And today it is Suicide Squad. There is so much to talk about with this movie. But before we get into that, of course, we start with Do We Care? Danae's going to read some pop culture headlines. Cap and I will decide if it's something we want to talk about. And if you don't want to talk about it, I make you talk about it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why Mike Brabiglia is right about the MPAA's hypocritical rating system. Ooh. Do we care about the rating system and Bur- his opinions? Well, Berbigli has got a really great sense of humor, so I imagine what he had to say was pretty funny. But I don't know. The MPAA hypocritical ratings, like that's nothing new. I think we've all known that for a while. What did, what did he have to say? I guess I do care. What about you, Cap? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who that is, but that's the thing I've made videos about. It's definitely messed up. I think everyone knows that. Yeah, I think that's what caught my attention, too. Maybe it's just getting more attention because he tweeted about it. His tweet said, Suicide Squad has machine guns, killings, and bombings, and got a PG-13 rating. At Don't Think Movie gets an R because adults smoke pot. Confusing. So I think that there's just some attention in the pop media culture, uh, pop pop culture media, uh, about kind of his particular opinions about it. Did you say pop culture or pot culture? I don't know. (laughs) I think both are valid. But both are valid. (laughs) So I think that it's just another opportunity to take a look at the ratings and why it's so important that, you know, if you're going to go see it and you feel like maybe you shouldn't go see it. I I didn't go see Pan's Labyrinth because I decided to read up about it. There was something Mm -hmm. about it. I was like, I don't know. And I just I'm thankful that I read up on it and didn't go because I think that one movie would have messed me up pretty bad. I think Suicide Squad is is a good one to bring back the how ridiculous the ratings are um oh yeah absolutely i was gonna bring that up when we talked about suicide squad well let's let's go ahead and and do that part you know just just right now just to say originally suicide squad i think was supposed to be rated r they were going to do an r-rated suicide squad movie or was it always supposed to be pg-13 it was always pg-13 they made a big deal out of how they wanted to streamline their brand which is hilarious when you look at the movies they've made so far uh, but they, but but like like people really expected Suicide Squad to maybe be rated R, and they were like, nah, it's got to be PG thirteen. People were worried about about it being watered down. And then the movie David Iyer made before it got chopped up and stuff, um, I think probably would have been much would have been pushing that R a lot harder. I think it's really interesting that he wrote that article and is talking about that because it was way tamer than it would have been. Wow, that's crazy because I, I thought it pushed the PG-13, especially the, I don't know, the Harley Quinn stuff was really, there's just something so, uh, I'm going to say sensual, but you know, even sexual about her performance and that character and I don't know, it was... 
this article is really great. There's a couple of things that it does. One, it highlights that there's other films out there that aren't going to be getting attention or wide view because it's rated something, it's rated R, Mm, when mm -hmm. the kind of movie that it is is far more appropriate for someone to go see at particular ages, you know. Right. Um, And so, and I think also of note, the Don't Think movie may be Mike Birbiglia's movie. Oh, probably. I, I'm sure he was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's kind of reference later on, but I didn't. I didn't actually research it. Um, but this article on Screen Crush does a great job because it kind of brings in ParentPreviews.com, which is a website that goes in, sees the movie, lets you kind of know what you're going to be getting into before you go as a parent. And I was. It was interesting because under language, it says frequent use of scatological slang. <laughs> so I had to make sure I understood so what scatological meant. So it's our podcast then. <laughs> So there's drug use and language and sexual content and violence, and then it kind of describes the types of viol- uh, violent actions in the movie. Maybe and- it's just maybe it's just the the tone of the movie can sometimes do that too. Maybe with Suicide Squad, it's just the you kind of the the nihilistic tone and you know just how you know dark some of that stuff can feel can make you feel like it's you know a um, you know more deserving of a, a harder rating. But I just think the rating system needs to go away. I think they need to replace it with you know content um instead of giving it like a letter replace it with just tell us you know what the content is like a parental guidance system like that you see online or something with like you know screen it or um common sense is another popular one because that's what people want to know it's mainly for you know people trying to decide if they should take what age kids you know to go see these movies yeah, I mean, some people would argue you want to make sure that kids can't get in to see rated R movies, but I'd argue that there are a lot of PG-13 movies that are just as much of a problem for kids to walk into. Yeah, you gotta... Because that, because that rating is such a catch-all now. Like, there are things that are more in what the PG spectrum used to be, and things that are much more into what the R spectrum used to be, that all get thrown into that rate. We have one rating now, except for, except for R. Yeah. And it's a uh, it's the the system is not working. I uh, in conclusion to this, and then we'll go on to the next one. Britt Hayes, who wrote this article, ends it by saying a few sentences. It's, she says, "So yes, Mike Birbiglia is right. The only thing offensive about his film is the rating. I doubt there are a bunch of teenagers scrambling to the theater to see Don't Think Twice this weekend. They should have the option, but that's not the point. The point is that these this rating systems is hypocritical, arbitrary, has become a wholly unnecessary, nebulous form of censorship." That favors blockbusters and major studios over independent filmmaking. That's true, and the word arbitrary is the one I would I would really emphasize. It just feels like the movies can ask for the rating they want, and you know, find a way to get it. And it's just it's it's just a broken system. Next up on Do We Care is Star Wars theme. This is titled Star Wars TV series still has a possibility per ABC's boss, quoting having been said. We have had conversations. <laughs> Do we care? Absolutely, I care about anything in the Star Wars universe. I think that's that would be... I'm waiting for that to actually be news. It seems like every few weeks you hear that. I guess what's going on, according to this article, is that ABC is really investing in um, like conversations with Lucasfilm, but it's just going to be... It's going to take well, a lot of time. Well, it'd be Disney now, right? Well, Lucasfilm and... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, part, they're still a part of that. Right, that's true, yeah, yeah. And Lucasfilm is known, I guess, for being even more secretive than other... Like Marvel, for example, is kind oh, of referenced here. Oh, by a lot. Here. Yeah. So a lot. Yeah. we're only going to know that you know, dude from ABC talked to dude from Lucasfilm and, you know, that there are conversations being had. Uh, I think that's just they're trying to hint that it could be possible, but you're right, Captain. Like, we're probably a long way away from really knowing anything. You're talking about, like, a live-action TV show as opposed to, like, the Clone Wars and that kind of stuff that's... Needs to be a Netflix show. 
Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I mean, doesn't everything Does not these need days? to be broadcast? Here's the thing: anything I've come to the the conclusion that anything that is um, uh, narrative serialized? and serialized mm-hmm. should be a six to eight episode, you know, released at once right. run. Because basically, or thirteen, depending. On, I mean, we've got a lot of thirteen that's still is, sharp. I I agree. You can get that long, but I'm telling you, the six to eight hour, you know, like television movie idea. Is really attractive, and of course, England's been doing that for a long time with their series. And I just there's something about that length for something that's serialized that you want a conclusion to that makes a lot of sense. I'm with you, but here, but in this country, still, because I mean, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like like it's it's still a big novelty to get half mm-hmm. like that, and so that's gonna that 13 episode model is gonna stick around for a while. Um, Dungy, who I think is president. Of ABC, yeah, uh, Channing Dungy. Just in case you didn't know mm-hmm. that, he was quoted as you know saying it would, be, it would be wonderful if we could find a way to extend the brand into our programming because I think they already do uh, Star Wars Rebels and Revenge of the Sith. Revenge, Something like that. Revenge of the Sith. That was a movie, though. Yeah, I don't know. I'm confused about what they're talking about. I think. Well, ABC, I think they're saying that they've already got a. Couple, I mean, it's the same family. ABC is owned by Disney. Right. Same as... I think they're time, talking so. about their animated series yeah. in that section. Which is on Cartoon Network. Right. And they're wanting to kind of move it over into the other part. So, anyhow. Moving on. Finally, today is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child debuts at midnight and fans are ready. This is pop culture, right? It's just... I thought it already debuted. Culture. Didn't it Didn't it come out this last week? I saw yeah. people in line who got it, so... It was the end yeah, of Cur- July. Yeah. Curious was- Lowe saw it and uh, she said it was awful. Oh, yeah? She read it or... Yeah. What's that? She saw it. Yeah, she saw it. On, she said it was really awful. Uh, in the theater or the like live action? Right? I'm so confused yeah. right now. Okay. Well, I guess do you care? <laughs> I, I care to know more because Harry Potter is obviously a huge property, and I have not paid enough attention to know what's going on. Okay. I thought it was a book. I thought it, it was is. another stage Harry play. Potter. It's a no, it's no, no, no. Play. It's a stage play, and they and they're and they're publishing a book that's the uh, like that's, the that's the the, the script. Oh. They they published the play script. Oh, I see. So it's a yeah, story set script. 19 years later. It's been nine years since the last book, but in the story, it's 19 years after where we kind of left off. Yeah. And Saturday is when it released. So yeah, it's been almost a week. Um, so yeah, I I have no problem with that. I I love that IPs are now doing more expanded universe type stuff. I've never had a problem with going back to. You know the world of Harry Potter or anything like that. You just hope it's quality material. And... The problem is, whenever this happens with plays, it's almost never good. Yeah. Like I don't know why, but we never hear positive things about these things. I love that. Yeah, right Spider Man now... in the dark and, and uh, <laughs> or turn off the dark and then and then and then this. Um, it's almost yeah. it's almost as if stuff like properties should be invented for the stage, possibly. I guess it works in some cases. Like, you know, I think of, like, Newsies uh, becoming, you know, a, a Broadway play, and that's seeming to work very well for them. But I think it has to be with stuff that's a little kind of under the radar and maybe kind of cult classy, you know, kind of stuff. This big stuff, for whatever reason, it makes a hard transition between kind of formats, I think. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's just because we're thinking too much about the format. Obviously, you have to adapt to whatever the medium is you're doing, but there's this kind of, you know, heightened sense of, now it's the theater! And, like, just write a, write a story and make it a thing that you can project to audiences. Um, I'll read you what Lowe wrote about it on Facebook. She said, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is fan fiction. Bad fan fiction. 
<laughs> I'm so upset by how out of character everyone is. That's rough, yeah, because you've come to, to love that stuff. I think one of the properties that did it really well, even though it wasn't as good as the original, um, was The Last Airbender. The original Last Airbender series was so good, and you love those characters. And when they decided to go back to the, the universe with Korra, it wasn't quite as good as The Last Airbender. But because they told a completely distinct story in that universe, you know, that was two generations later or whatever, I think it allowed it to breathe a little bit more. And so you didn't have to worry about, you know, kind of bad characterizations of characters you already know and that kind but of stuff. But, of course, stuff. that's medium to the same medium. Well, that's and true as well. spin That's territory. true as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, like we're we're about to get a prequel to Harry Potter in, in movies, so we'll see what that's like. Yeah, yeah, I feel like maybe she did herself a disservice because um, when I'm sure in her mind these characters have advanced, you know, 20 years. So the Harry Potter we've grown to love, or the characters that we've grown to love, and I haven't I haven't read the script, so I don't I don't really know. Well, she didn't write it, is the thing. Oh, I thought uh, she did. Well, there. No, your... no, her name's all over it because uh, she was consulting. But yeah, she didn't write it, well, so like. Well, that, I'm that glad right we there's talked your about problem. it. All right. Well, we're moving on. I think we found That's the issue it. here. Not talking about yeah. that anymore. <laughs> if I would have known that, I would have never brought it up. I had no idea. <laughs> Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Oh, so I good. I can't not sing this song. <laughs> oh, man. I just... I didn't see this movie. I didn't see yeah. Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. But I hate that it's now tied to this movie <laughs> because I love the song so much. Well, I think that was the. It's uh, tied to a lot of movies, though, right? That's true. It's tied to Wayne's World well, as well for me. That's one. what I was going to say. Like, I always get Wayne's World flashbacks. Well, that's Absolutely. the best one. So, we're going to talk a little bit about Suicide, DC's latest entry into attempting to build a Marvel like extended universe with all of their characters. And we've if got. If you're going to spew, spew into this. <laughs> Sorry. Do you just need a break for some Wayne's World quotes? I, I, just, we can go there. I was holding that the whole time you were talking, and I knew that if I didn't do it, it would just bother me the rest of the That's show. That's fine. Do you have any more you need to get out? Before? Uh, no, I'm fine. Okay. All right. Good. Hi, I'm in Delaware. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently you did have one more. Psycho host beast. So in Suicide Squad, uh, we are putting together a group of villains to help save the world in trying to force the bad guys to become the good guys. It features uh, characters like Deadshot, Harley Quinn, uh, Boomerang, so many others from the DC Universe who I'm just learning about, again, because I'm not you know a comic book person. Uh, Cap, I'm really glad you're with us for this one. Because you know this universe so well, uh, especially the Gotham City universe, you're such a Batman fan and knowing these characters. So I'm excited to get into some of that conversation. But before we get there, let's just talk generally. Did you like it? Love it? It was okay? Dislike it or hated it? Cap, let's start with you. I thought it was incredibly mediocre and ultra disappointing because you can see there's a good movie in there somewhere. I, you know, I can get with that. I think there could have been a good movie in there. I would actually lean towards disliked it. And... Uh, that's well, Aaron, a, what I'm saying is, I'm almost positive there was a better movie that got hacked to shreds. Yeah, that's what I'm like, hearing. Like, Iyer made a different movie than this, and then Warner's changed it, is what it seems like. Yeah, and I love, um, I, I always call him David Ayers. Uh, is it Ayers? I'm not sure. But um, I love Fury. I love what he's done before. Um, he's a really intelligent director. I feel like he could have made... 
like it feels like almost he was perfect for the material like he understands you know how to make something dark that is also compelling that is also interesting that makes you think those kind of things and i just didn't see that movie here but that is the report that i'm hearing afterwards because i like to go see a movie as pure as possible and then afterwards i'll read reviews and different things like that and man when i got out i did my um radio review last night and so then i went to look at some other reviews this movie is getting trashed i mean just destroyed by some people in i it's just like i don't know if it was that bad but it, i mean it was yeah, does it remind yeah, you of the ghostbusters thing because that's what happened in ghostbusters is the internet trashed it before it even came out no no this is totally but that's not different. what happened with this yeah this is a totally different situation thing. this oh. is the totally different yeah this is mainstream critics ripping it to shreds yeah oh interesting with an, with an internet that was excited and this was one of the most anticipated movies of the year so do you feel like they all get you know a call from each other like on the critics red phone line and it's like guys <laughs> this is the one that we have to sacrifice this year get out all your angst on this movie if, if that's go the, I, I i'm kind of part of that group of people you know like i vote in the critics choice awards i'm in the bfca and i'll just say there is no red phone in my office. Well, technically, there is a red there phone. There is a red in my, phone in your in office. office. It's but right it's there. not connected to anything. Um, so he did not get that memo. <laughs> I think it's just. I think it's just because you know. And and we'll talk about this for our second topic too, as we talk about kind of critical response and how that plays into what you think about a movie or, or whether or not you can enjoy it and those kind of things. But I think in this case, it, it really is just a movie that that shows its um, manipulation. And I don't mean that in a story way. I mean that in a creation way it has been manipulated to be a certain type of movie that doesn't seem to match the movie that the director wanted to make is that fair to say cap yeah and i feel like i i feel like i can see that on the screen beyond just that being the report that's probably what happened yeah like like the way things are 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 are, especially in the editing things look really jumbled around and put in strange places and stuff now having said that i feel like i got to get a little bit of perspective I think one of the reasons I probably liked this more than you did is because I'm having is because I've had to spend a lot of time with Batman versus Superman and it's very difficult not to just compare it to the two movies they've made already oh, sure. and say, "Well, it's coherent." <laughs> like I know what's going on most of the time even if there are questions. Like, you know, there's there's plot holes or whatever and there's huge weird structure choices and stuff especially at the beginning that yeah. is a first act that is a prologue right like, oh, like we don't we never get off the ground until about 25 minutes into the movie i, che- I checked my watch it was 35 minutes that's um, was it that long wow that's wow a, that's a bad sign can we just-, we just set up people and set up people and set up people well here's the thing here's here's what i Danae, go ahead what were you gonna say it's just a bad sign whenever you're watching a movie and you're checking your watch. <laughs> that is true. That's never a good sign. Well, here's what I I checked my watch when that prologue was over because it's obviously a prologue setting up all these characters we're supposed to know. And it was a reminder to me, again, and I, I, I know this is the comparison that everybody does, and I, I guess I just think it's natural and normal to do this. But the Marvel movies set up characters with their own movies before they put them together. And to set up these all of these characters in the same movie that we're supposed to care and love about them instead of having i don't know a deadshot movie first or you know a harley quinn movie or it just makes it so you have to have this 35 minute section at the beginning so that we can get the backstory we need and do we we, we, may i I disagree with you and say no we don't yeah because i i mean no we don't maybe maybe they thought that they needed it but and i didn't see the movie i don't need to see the movie to, to, to say 30 minutes to set up every character is like 
like a little mini episode mm-hmm. kind of a feel. Yeah, they exactly. should have released mini episodes on Hulu or Netflix. That's an or idea. No, no, you don't thing, even have you know? to. You don't even have to go that far. And it is always it is always bad if you need supplemental material that you have to go look at in order to appreciate the movie. But these are mostly not super complex characters. They're, most of them are not the kinds of people that would warrant their own film. Okay, so that's an until int- we've already kind of. I mean, maybe maybe after this, after we've like come to know them a little bit, but like. It's it's just a structure problem, Aaron. Like when you open, and and I won't I won't spoil too much. But when you open with flashback after flashback, and then you have other flashbacks throughout the film, I find myself wondering why we didn't go just go with the Deadpool model and have because the because the A story is not real complicated. Like why not just have that be your main set piece and then occasionally. Uh, interrupt it with a with a flashback for a character when that's uh, when when that has something to do with the scene that we're watching. And they kind of did both, right? But it's like, relevant, and they were still doing that. So yeah. that should have been the structure. Yeah, no, I I totally understand that. Here's my thing: some of the only the only things I cared about in the movie existed because of the the you know the setup of those characters. Um, without giving anything away. Uh, which I can't wait to talk spoilers on this because there's so much I do want to talk about. But they could have but given you that as it went along. I, I don't know. I don't know if they could. I see, see, I feel like that's the problem when you have so many characters that you're that you're supposed to understand and know their motivation in a, you know, in a story um, is, you know, I, I look at like Deadpool's story and I'm like, I actually cared about that a little bit. But it was because they did take some time in setting that up and helping me understand. And I, I don't think that's something you can do in just one five minute flashback but, somewhere in the but movie. In any kind of movie where you've got like a huge team of people, if you're not doing it like the Marvel setup where everyone has their own movies ahead of time and you've already, right. you know, brought things in. You don't focus on as many characters. You need to zoom it down in exactly. and focus yeah, on yeah, a yeah. few characters that you want to develop and let the other ones kind of be the side characters. That well, way in the next the movie thing, you can give them more depth. That's the thing, though, is that they do that. that not every character gets a full-blown arc and is entirely important, and yet some of them get those flashbacks anyway. Like, like A, and the movie needs to drop like three or four characters. There are too many characters. That's because somebody wasn't willing thing. to say no. Need all right? that. But I don't think... But I don't think it's fair to say that just because the Marvel method worked well there that you that that you have to introduce every character in their own, in their own movie first. I no, think no, this no. can and be done. I think they, they just to. did it poorly. I don't think that they have to. That's not what I was saying at all. It's just if you're not going to use that model where you're setting it up, then you mm-hmm. can't spend the first movie developing your characters so much inside the movie because you're you're just you're having the same experience you guys have, which is checking your watch and, yeah. you know, feeling like, oh, it just got dragged out. So let's talk about some of the things uh, that we liked in this movie. I, I really do think if you go into it with, you know, lower expectations, I think you can <laughs> you can have some fun with some of this stuff. Um, for me, I thought the performances were really good. I I thought Will Smith was great. Uh, I thought uh, Margot uh, Robbie was phenomenal as Harley She's Quinn. I, I was just yeah. like. Wow, what a performance! Um, and just some her line deliveries and that stuff alone was stuff that I thought was was really good in this. I liked the absurdity of it, and that they didn't shy away from that. That it's an absurd universe. Yeah, and and that and, and that they're not so and that they're not so self important, and they're not afraid of that. Uh, and it's jarring coming after the last one uh, that they're doing that. Like 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 even though. Uh, it's a disjointed movie. It feels bolder and more sure of itself 
but at the same time, uh, it's it's totally uneven. Like it's both of those things. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the tone just felt like it it would lock into something. You go, okay, this is this works. I love this scene. I love this segment, and then it would you know do something else go to a different place and i i felt a little bit of the fingerprints of like do you feel like they shot new scenes i don't know anything about you know kind of the, no they did, did they it, did yeah it felt like it was a sh- big fiasco about that where people really worried that they were doing reshoots and then david Ayer was like was like nobody panic we're just uh we're just making the third act more cohesive or whatever and people were people were afraid that it was warner's say and, and the, the rumor for a minute was warner's uh was like this needs more humor so they went and injected humor into it and now we're hearing reports that that Maybe actually, really, what did happen? It feels I'm like it. I'm confused about that whole thing. Well, I I will tell you, without having heard those reports, that's what I thought had happened because there were scenes where just two characters would have, um, you know, little words after a you know big action scene or whatever, and I'm like, I bet that's a reshoot. There's nobody else in the scene. It's like a little tag, you know, to give it make it a little lighter. The problem was they were just most of the time they were just lame jokes, and yeah. and it was like I don't. I even tweeted this. I don't need DC to be funnier. Like, I, it's not like I need them to make me laugh. I just, you know, what I need from DC that I see from Marvel is the ability to care for these characters in a real way. Like, the ability to, like, it's joy, you know, not laughs. I want some, I want some life in the movie. Even in a yeah, dark movie, Yeah, and you want characters you to feel like real people. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's, what's, for me, compared to BVS, they did. Yeah, that's true. Compared- like, like I, I hate that I walked out of a Suicide Squad movie and I felt more sympathy for the bad guys trying to be good guys than I did for Superman. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, it's crazy in that way. But, um, but I also liked, I thought the effects were, were pretty good. I thought there were some cool yeah. visualizations. Um, very colorful, very interesting. Not something I'd seen a lot before, and I, I thought directing that part of was, it was competent. Yeah, for you, sure. you know, you know, I, you know, I read, uh, and I don't know, I don't know how true this is. Somebody, somebody left a comment on the review I did on this last night, and, and claimed that the uh, that it was that the, the re edits uh, before the movie came out in the theater were done by the people who made the trailers. Oh, really? Which is just wild. If that's the case, <laughs> that's amazing. I've never heard of anything like that. <laughs> yeah. That's I know incredible. you didn't. Ha- I, I know you didn't watch the trailers, but I had the thing I do often with a thing like this because they because Warner's put so much out with the, about this movie. Um, they 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 kind of veered into Sony territory with just how many things they showed in their trailer. Like every Joker scene you saw, and Joker scenes that were not in the movie we saw <laughs> in the trailers, and. Uh, I I had that I had that thing where I where I keep seeing things I recognize and that keeps like distracting me where it, I feel like I'm putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Instead of watching a movie and that's really irritating. It 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 is. It's like they're trying to do something but they don't have their feet under them enough yet for the foundation of it. You know, it's like they're they're trying to figure out this expanded universe formula on the run and it's just it's it's awkward at times. It's awkward to see. Yeah, and they're doing and it's all knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which is which is really important. Can I tell you my theory? Sure, go ahead. About about Suicide Squad, I don't. And and I I said this in, in the review I posted last night. I don't know if this would have been. I'm saying this in retrospect, of course. I don't know if this would have been financially viable. You never would have thought to do this, but now in retrospect, after I've seen this movie, we should have led with this with the with the DC. Uh, ex- ex- extended universe, as they're calling it. Um, it, it. This this should have been the starting place, because the idea of 
or maybe with a Batman movie, but the but the idea of uh, we have such a cynical world that are trying to save us are using uh, super-powered bad guys that they're attempting to control with a bomb in their head, and then later we get the Justice League and we discover optimism is a really good idea. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, start in a dark place and let the light come in. Um yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. I did want to talk to Danae a little bit because I know one of your favorite comic book characters, at least growing up, was Harley Quinn. So true. So if you hadn't... Although, let's just pause for a moment because Poison Ivy and her, I, I can't... It's just hard. It's Be- hard to Between decide. Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn? Yes. <laughs> I love them both. So what would you want from a Harley Quinn character... In a movie like this, you know, once she's on the big screen, what does she need to be for you to live up to kind of why you liked her and why you were interested in her? You know, if I went to go see this movie and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. she was something different, it would be really upsetting. Yeah. Or, yeah. What would what were your expectations? Well, something about Harley is just her attitude. She's constantly just having like this crazy fun, crazy time that like she's in this total like not reality and mm-hmm. always big, bright, shiny eyes and having a good time doing crazy, crazy stuff. She's they just nail nuts. That. She's just freaking nuts. I love her. That they nail. Good. Yeah, for sure. What they don't nail is what the Joker Harley Quinn relationship is. Yeah, tell me about that because I was really put off by their relationship, and I don't think well, that was the intent. I thought they were trying to make it romantic, and I didn't buy it for a second. I thought it, like it was just between oh. two psychopaths. You yeah, don't buy a it, relationship. That's weird. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I buy that they have some sort of messed up relationship, but they were trying to make it. Just felt like they were trying to make it a romance, oh. and I was just like. No, I, no, thank you. I don't know. It's really weird to me. Yeah, and it's it's really confusing and inconsistent because there's a flashback that kind of leads you to believe that it's more of the the relationship from the comics where Joker would drop her like a bad habit, but then that's the opposite of that is what we're doing through the rest of the movie. So it's really confusing. Yeah, and and they're, they're, and, and I'm not saying it has to be just like the comics. They could do a, a, a romance. It's I'm just confused as to what they think they're putting on the screen with that. Um, and, and so you know, if they had done something more traditional, and of course Danae would know this, uh, you'd have a uh, you'd have a you'd have a Harley Quinn that's in denial about the relationship she has with the Joker, where she's obsessed with him and enamored, and he manipulated her and created her and made her the way she is, and she thinks that they are soulmates. And he would, again, drop her at any point and doesn't actually care anything about her. And that's not what they did. Hmm. It was it, it was a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, though. You know, it, it, there, yeah. were, there was some of that. But then there was also the, you know, that it, it felt like it went both ways. And I, I don't know. It just... His entire purpose in the film is go try to grab her. And I don't ultimately at the end really know why that is. Uh, and a- he's just, he's a big mystery, uh, and not in the way you want the Joker to be necessarily. Like, I thought Leto's performance was fine, but it's, I, I just, I don't get enough of a handle on him. And I also feel like Warners has made a giant mistake in not immediately telling us the next place we're going to see him, because that is going to disappoint people really hard. Yeah. Because they've sold the movie so hard on him. Uh, before we kind of like shift gears, I, we've had a really active chat and, uh, this is recorded with a live audience Mm -hmm. as you heard at the beginning. So I was really interested to hear kind of like some of their comments. Sure. So one of the things that was mentioned was by Spartan 67. I was surprised by how much I loved El Diablo and Captain Boomerang was hilarious. Uh, just when you go, you guys talking about characters. Yeah. Was there any other character that really stood out to you guys? Diablo is interesting. Um, I liked him a lot. I thought, uh, Boomerang was disappointing. 
Why would you say Boomerang? See, I don't know enough about these characters from the comics, obviously, but what made him disappointing yeah, to you? and this is a thing, if I can real fast, this is a thing I wanted to bring up earlier because I think it's important. Um, I, I, there, there, there is some, there's some fan filminess sense I get from this movie. Uh, like, like a lot of DC fans uh, that are really liking the, the the DC movies from from uh, Man of Steel into BVS. I, I don't know about this one yet. With a lot with a lot of of, of those folks are saying, uh, you know, well, it's not for you; it's for the fans. The problem is, I don't think this is a this is a good introduction. Even though they make a they, they take a long time to introduce characters, I don't think it's a great introduction. Sometimes. Harley Quinn, it's fine, I think, for the most part. But like for 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 a lot of characters, it's not a great introduction to them for audiences that aren't already familiar. And like, like I, I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of people that don't know these characters already, and I can't imagine what kind of viewing experience they have. Uh, it felt like a lot to try to figure out. Uh, the character of Boomerang seemed just like kind of a side character to me. He, of all he the is. characters, I, I, I think they did the least with his backstory. I mean, aside from uh, the the guy that climbs walls. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I forget his name. Slipshot, maybe. Something like that. Uh, Slipknot. 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 Aside from Slipknot, um, there was the Isn't least that amount. Is a band? Of- <laughs> yes, it, yes, it, it is. is. Uh, they did the least amount of character development with him, so he just seemed like a funny oaf that you know was good at throwing a boomerang. Yeah, and the thing is, we've. The, he he's he's always been a really you know obviously with his motif silly kind of character and in recent years Jeff Johns and some other writers have made him in the comics really really interesting and we have a kind of badass version in Arrow and so in this universe we're making such a big deal out of how super cool and awesome Aquaman is it's very weird <laughs> to get the jokey silly boomerang uh, that's okay it's not a big deal it's yeah. just you know I, I like like boomerangs become a, 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 a kind of fleshed out villain that i like a lot in the comics and i was a little disappointed that they, that they made him a one-note throwaway villain what were the uh what were the the guys the the bad guys the rhinoceros or whatever and uh pig from uh mutant ninja turtles yeah bebop and rock he reminded me of like bebop and rocksteady like it was just like one of those <laughs> like just oafy you know crack a joke kind of kind of characters and which really didn't fit in with you know a lot of the other tone of the film but um it wasn't i mean it wasn't as over the top as you know the mutant ninja turtle thing obviously but that's just kind of what it reminded me of um another thing from the chat which was this about when we're talking about harley quinn um friend went to go see it annoyed by harley's story relying on the joker since new 52 harley doesn't interact with the joker all that much which just is i kind of wanted to bring that up because there's other material out there if you love harley quinn's character that you can find, but also, this is episode fifty-two of Sif Pop, so that's whoa. right. That just cracks me up. What so much? And we're doing Suicide Squad on <laughs> your episode fifty-two. That's do, do, fantastic. Do, 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 do. So that was kind of fun. Um, what about? Were there any other characters, Cap, that you wanted to bring to the forefront to talk about? We haven't even talked about the witch and um, the uh, guy that. Uh, Oh, uh, what was his name? I mean, the witch is so throwaway, uh, Enchantress. It's like, like I, I get, I get the idea. Like, like thematically, is 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 kind of neat. Where like we we fight pure evil to give you perspective that these characters actually still have humanity in them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that ever comes out enough to the fore. Uh, and ultimately, it's just a really. A, a really kind of stereotypical villain and kind of th- and, and kind of throwaway villain plot. Um, just kind of you know, unfortunate, especially by the third act, which gets really sappy out of nowhere, by the way. <laughs> what about the human characters? What about, like, Viola Davis uh, as Weller and 
Waller is fantastic. Um, she is straight off the page. Okay. And uh, I hope we get. Uh, I, I hope she gets more to do. Um, I they could in a really weird way make her kind of the Nick Fury of their universe, and I hope that's what they do. That's what it felt like to me. You know, it felt like there was that amount to it. And then of course you've got uh, Joel Kinnaman, um, who I, I loved in the TV show The Killing, and he's playing Agent Something or Other. Uh, oh, are you talking about uh, Rick Flag? Rick Flag, yeah. Is that a character from the comics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. and he is, yeah, and, and has the role he he usually does in the comics. Yeah, um, he was okay. I mean, he was he was fine. Yeah, I like him as an actor. I don't know necessarily kind of a, that this part was was anything too special. It's pretty generic version of Rick Flag. I thought. Were there any characters in this that are not in the comics? Did they add anything? I no. Mean, okay. No. Every, no. Every every everything's everything's from the comics. Um, Katana should not be in this movie. She does not fit here at all. Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about Katana. There were so many characters. I don't know oh what she's goodness. doing. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Just drop just drop a few. Um, I, liked, I, I liked Killer Croc a lot, j- j- performance-wise and makeup-wise. Uh, I thought he looked amazing. Uh, Killer Croc is Batman villain, and um, he, he, just, he just stands around and growls constantly. That's all he does. And when he <laughs> does talk, he's really hard to understand. Uh. Because that guy, cause that guy has a really thick African accent. Yeah. And then you put that under that makeup, and I just have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> I well, there was that too. I almost felt like they needed subtitles a couple times for a couple of these characters, and I just I just missed lines. Like I couldn't I understand. I think what... he was played by the guy who played Mister Echo in Lost. I think that's who that is. Oh wow! I think you're right. If memory serves. Oh man, that's that's crazy. All right, I Isn't think that crazy, we're... but like. At the end of the day, anybody could have played that role, but I thought he was he was pretty good. All right, let's do one more thing before we wrap this up uh, here. Is there one more thing you would want to tell the audience? And if you can't think of one more thing, maybe just would you recommend the movie? Uh, I'll start. Um, my one more yeah. thing is uh, a thing I've I've had with the DC movies since um, Man of Steel. I just I want more humans. Like I feel like these movies lose us, and when I say us, I mean. When you go see a, a superhero movie, part of the fun for me is like, okay, here's how they're saving me. Here's what they're, you know, they've got me in mind. You, you look at the Marvel movies, like, uh, you know, especially the Avengers movies, and there's always a real sense of humanity to them and what we're going through and what the world is like. And this, this movie especially seems so focused on the superheroes or supervillains that I didn't know where I didn't know where humanity was. Like you know, where was you know the world in this movie? But guys, where am I? <laughs> exactly. You know, you want to <laughs> you kind of want to see yourself in these movies and know you know what's my role in this. Um, and I just well, don't that's a great feel, point. And I just don't feel like we know that with these movies very well, and so I feel disconnected from them in a lot of ways. Well, my one more thing won't be profound at all. This is a thing I meant to mention earlier, which is uh, really overkill with the popular music. Ah, uh, yes. It becomes really problematic. And, it, like, like, you had all this music in the trailers, and people were wondering if that would be in, if any of that would be in the movie. And I found myself really hoping Bohemian Rhapsody and some of those things would actually make it into the movie. And they do, but it's just popular song after popular song, and you have to keep switching tonal gears, especially at the beginning. And then, uh, and then when you get to actual score, it's, it doesn't, it's just bad. It's just bad score. 
Yeah, I think that's a solid point. Uh, in the chat, one more thing coming from Spark967. He said, in defense of the movie, it's a not great and has almost zero story, but the action is good and I had fun with most of the characters. It dips into style over substance, but the style is so fun that I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. Yeah, I did I did too. The problem is, for, for me lately, with, with all the negative things I said, it's the best of what they've made so far. <laughs> And I mean, I used to love Man of Steel. I was going to say I like I Man of Steel a, better. Well, yeah, but then I had to live with that and do an analysis on it, and it broke my brain. Well, let's let's wait till you have to live with this and do analysis on it, and uh, and see how it measures up at that point. Because you know, I think Caleb mentions or Spartanite mentions the the lack of story. This is possibly the thinnest story I've seen in a movie this year. There is almost nothing to the actual foundation of this story. In fact, when we get into spoilers, yeah, that's fair. When we get into spoilers, we'll talk more specifically about the uh, you know, kind of the final battle end of this movie. I there are no in my mind, I there are such poorly defined stakes in this story that it's just that I had no uh, real interest in knowing which way it was going to go because I didn't know what was going on. So and that's uh-huh. ironic with the sheer number of characters that are there. <laughs> right, exactly. And Deepak quoted Suicide Squad, the movie equivalent of early Britney Spears. <laughs> that, wow. That's deep. Uh, the big question you got to ask yourself right now is, is this three strikes and you're out for DC? No, they're too big. They're too big to fail. <laughs> they'll keep pouring stuff out and eventually they'll find their... I really think they'll eventually find their footing. I kind of hate all the Marvel versus DC stuff because... Oh, no, I do too. I, and I'm not... And I'm not part of that. Understand. Well, but you can't help but be. I mean, you can't well, help you, but be part of compare, it in some ways. Yeah, you're, you're going to compare like to like, mm-hmm. and Marvel. No, no of course is, you're going to compare them, but you've got people that feel like they have to hate one to like right. the other, and that's preposterous. Well, yeah. that's it's in like politics it's like if you too, it's everywhere. That's just human <laughs> yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, and people have politicized this stuff, and that's ridiculous. Absolutely. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, that's how this podcast and others just like it on the Shoot the Dough Podcast Network exist. It's by our fans, so thank you for giving monthly at patreon.com slash shoe the dough. Your dollar a month helps us to not only do this podcast, but the Shoe the Dough Podcast and others like New Music Digest. I know a lot of times it's easier for this kind of stuff just to kind of fly right over the head and just be like, yeah, 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 I know, you know, yeah, this is how yeah, you do what you yeah. do, blah, blah, blah. But I'd like you to really think about just $1 or even $3 every single month to know that a podcast like this can keep going. Possibly more podcasts can come on the way. That kind Crowdfunding, of Crowdfunding, okay? So it's, it is the way we do what we do. And so we'd really appreciate your help. And thank you so much for those who do support. Again, that's patreon.com slash shoe the dough. You can also find quick links at aaronanddenae.com, which is one of the websites that Aaron and I put out some of those other things we do besides podcasting including radio and sock puppets (laughs) patreon.com slash shoe the dough and thank you so much for your support of what goes on here there really aren't any sock puppets though thanks today i appreciate you i just didn't want somebody to go to the site trying to look for it you know so let's move on to talk a little bit about the critical response to suicide squad and not just that but our own response to criticism of things we love or the movies we like there's actually some sort of petition you can sign to get (laughs) rotten tomatoes shut down because they hate dc movies how is that a thing cap how is that a thing first of all and and i and i don't and i don't want you to take this the wrong way when i say this i hate that we're giving that coverage (laughs) 
I hate that. I hate that that's trending, that everyone's talking about it. Do you realize, and I don't know where it is now, do you realize that when that first started, like, people are talking about it just because it's so preposterous, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like when I first saw that, it, the petition had 400 signatures. Like, I can't put out a video on YouTube, get 400 views, and it become national news. <laughs> That's a great point. I think what's bothersome for me is this is part of our culture where news and media try to just find blood in the water and exploit it and expose it because they have to be talking about something all the time. And rather than letting a movie... Yeah, what ends up happening is we we pretend like this is a bigger problem than it is. Like, that is a really, really vocal minority. And it's like, it's the culture that we live in. This is clickbait culture. If yeah. it's, if it, the movie's not getting good reviews, then it's like, okay, figure out why. Dig in mm-hmm. there and find it. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's because, you know, this over here. And then you just start to exploit all the quote-unquote negative things. And even mentioned during the chat where, like, why are we caring about there being uh, reshoots? That's like a normal thing. Right, yeah, Here, yeah. This is another example of just... You know, our culture, oh, there's a little bit of blood leaking out in the water, and here come all the sharks just trying to figure out oh, how yeah, to that is a normal thing. It's just in this particular case, now that we've seen the movie, it does look like that might have actually hurt it. But before that, it's not necessarily something we should have been talking about. Exactly. About. That's my first point is can we please go back to where we talk about things after we've experienced them? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I feel like we're wasting we're wasting a lot of time doing that. Like, I, I will do speculation videos and things sometimes, and, and I, I fall into this trap because people are constantly – interested to know what I think about a trailer or whatever, but right. man, I'm doing less of it because it feels like a waste of time after a while. It really does. And it's it's like a rush to have the first opinion, right? It's like, yeah. you know, because we're in such an immediate culture, the person who comes out with their opinion first oftentimes gets the most, you know, attention, those kind of things. And I just I I just refuse to be a part of it. That's part of, you know, not seeing the trailers. You know, I don't I go into movies, even some of the bigger ones not knowing anything about where that movie is headed because I want to experience it and then have a reaction to it. And you want the people who are making the movie to like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really has nothing to do with I'm just that. kidding. I'm just kidding. I just want to have a good storytelling that's, experience. That's how I feel. I want to experience it like they wanted me to. So I try, yeah. you know, not not to consume too much media over something before, you know, we go in. And then it gives you that platform to on the other end know that your opinion is truly based on your own individual experience. Before you see how people, you know, in this internet culture of connectivity all act. To be honest, I I think I fight a little bit of bitterness in, uh, that's probably too strong of a word, but in how much attention reaction videos to trailers, trailer reviews, you know. And it's who does it first. Yeah. And and, yeah. Yeah. And I get a little bit like. You know what this is like? There's not always merit. Do you know what's happening? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what's happening right now? What's happening? What's happening in movie culture right now is the reviews and the information all coming out early. It's like Halloween candy being in the store right now. <laughs> it's it's a type of marketing that is just like really annoying. Like, I don't want to be thinking about this right now. I haven't even gotten to autumn yet. Why am I having to mm-hmm. look and think about these things? Yeah, It's like the first person to do it is the one that gets the attention, the clicks, the likes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and rather than it just being built on what you know somebody watching it that's why a uh, chewbacca lady was so popular one of the reasons why she was so popular is that was a genuine you know kind of moment that just came out it wasn't something that it was just everyone's like piling on it going you have to do this you have to do this mm-hmm. people watched it they had a genuine reaction and then it kind of went viral everyone's trying to make virality all the time and it's just it's too much we yeah. don't need the halloween stuff we don't need to see christmas stuff in stores right now <laughs> we don't like let us just be in our moment 
it's still August. I really do feel like there is. Tell me what I, I would love to, to hear what you guys think of. I think today we've talked about this, but Cap, I don't know if, if you and I have talked about this. I think there should be. I think there is money to be made from a movie company that comes out and says we are going to do a, uh, a zero marketing for our movies. We're going to make them. We're going to give you know creative control. We're going to let people put out films, and then our whole shtick will be when you sit down in the theater, you will have, you will know nothing about the story you're about to be told, other than the important things of you know, uh, you know, like what kind of content you might expect, so that you know you don't go see a horror movie when you don't like horror movies, that kind of thing. But other than that, you know, you're going to be told a story. I think there's a place for a, a movie company to step into a gap and say, you know, um, no trailers for our movies. What do you, what do you guys think about that? I think. What you have to do instead, then, is all viral. I think you still have to market your movie. I don't think there's any expecting people to go see it if they don't know what's happening, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you have to do something. And we and, and like this worked really well with Cloverfield, uh, and then and then uh, Tim Cloverfield Lane, the the, the, the idea of not even tell, letting anybody know the movie was being made until a month before it came out. That was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that was an amazing strategy. And yes, then there were there were trailers, but they didn't show you very much. You didn't really know too much about what was going on. And um, so I, I think I think Aaron, your idea is a really good one, but you still have to market your movie. You know, there's a great uh, great comment in the chat, and I just think you know what? Maybe Netflix already kind of does this. You think about strange. Yeah. You think about Stranger Things. I didn't point. see a Stranger Things trailer. S- sleeper drops but the thing yeah. is you can get away with that if you're netflix because you already have your built-in clientele it's just there right. you don't have to you don't have to hope people will go out to the theater and give you money the money is there i also like that curious low in chat said frozen kind of did that they only had trailers that featured olaf until after the movie came out so there are people who do like to you well, know work with that medium in movies well, i like the idea and i think you can do this with things that aren't just comedies and cartoons and and we should do, be doing more of that she's absolutely right what if you had more trailers that were just a that were just a sketch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's not even mo- in the movie. That's and what it movies- just makes you want to go see it. What do that with horror? You can have a horror sketch. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, trailers used to be more like that. In fact, a lot of older trailers were the director or the actors telling you, "Hey, here's what my movie's going to be about." You know. Don't want to give too much away. Why don't you come, you know, see it? There are some Hitchcock trailers like and then that. You don't have to worry about stupid stuff like, like here's all the stuff in the trailer that didn't actually make it into the movie, yeah, and all of that because it really does if, uh, affect our perceptions and our preconceptions too much. And then also mentioned is um, another opinion. We need a little marketing so people can know what to spend their money on. I'd yeah. love to see every movie, but I can't afford it. So the t- trailers do help me pick and choose. And that's another really good point. But too. are they really a good? Way, are trailers really a good indication if you're going to enjoy a movie or not? Not even a little bit. I, I think they're manipulative. I, yeah. I uh, yeah. constantly find, and this is true for television stuff too. You know, all the little commercials that kind of played as to give you a heads up on what's happening in the next episode of uh, Australia's Next Top Model. <laughs> <laughs> Which legitimately is a show that Danae's watching. I, right I now. am watching that one right now. That is, that is absolutely something that I've done. Um, you know, they they constantly try to manipulate you and, and, and show you some kind of a drama mm-hmm. or show you some kind of an emotion so you want to watch and you're compelled and then you watch t- because you're compelled and it unravels differently or you know, yeah. it's just all manipulation. It's some kind of an emotional manipulation. So this, which is one of the reasons, you know, in in most trailer, I mean, almost every trailer makes the movie it's about look amazing. Like, you know, uh, there are so many times I've seen an amazing trailer when I was watching them 
and gone to the movie and been like, that's not the movie that was in the trailer. Or Yeah, and then you, and then you find yourself going, well, if you could look at your movie, I mean, it, 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 people making trailers are often different people, but like, if you can look at your movie and say, here's the movie people would really like to have seen, why <laughs> didn't you just make that in the first place? Teasers are sufficient, don't need full trailers. That's Amen. Kind of Absolutely. Amen. And Absolutely. Deepak kind of mentioned that in the chat. That's that's exactly right. I think that's true. So I, I think that's part of the problem is the early response culture that we have affects a lot of things. But what we're talking about even more specifically with Rotten Tomatoes is how we use critical response to film or television or whatever in our own process these days. Because I think that's continuing to evolve and change as well. And I'd be curious to know from both of you. Do you check Rotten Tomatoes scores? When do you check them? What do they mean to you? Do you find it to be a good indication if you're going to enjoy something? Um, so, uh, Cap, let's I start with you. Them, oh, thanks. I find them interesting only after the fact. Why is that? I want to see the movie and then find out what the consensus is. Because because I want to make up my own mind, but also because... And I mean, like I do, so like that, that doesn't affect me except that I might think, okay, this, this movie might not be as good as I was hoping or whatever. And I, again, that's going to affect your preconceptions even if you try to not let it. I hear people say this all the time. We're like, I'm not going to let this affect me. Yeah, no, no, you, you read it. it. It does. Yeah, you're human. Yeah. It, it does. But the, uh, but the thing is, uh, those scores are just numbers and will not necessarily reflect... What what I think about a thing, especially because it's a bunch of it's statistics, right? Like it's it's all or nothing. People, you know, you know the the, the DC fans that are trying to shut down Rotten Tomatoes. Which, by the way, I love the idea that somehow or other a petition could shut a whole company down. <laughs> oh man, nine thousand people don't like us. I guess we better close the doors. <laughs> I don't I don't understand that that I at all. It's hilarious to me. But anyway, uh, but when you when you uh when you pull all the those uh those numbers together, the re- all it is is uh somebody writing a review putting a thumb up or a thumbs down. Right. And you could be right on the cusp, which means if you have a movie like Suicide Squad and I mean, a lot of people are sandblasting that, so that's not a great example. But but let's say you have a movie where people are really on the cusp, and it's got thirty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But when you read the reviews, everybody's just like, "This movie is lackluster." Yeah, they're not freaking about about how bad it is. Yeah, that's why you need to look at the content, and not just the number. Yeah, I think there's a separate conversation to be had about if Rotten Tomatoes uses a good system, which I don't think they do. Uh, you know, for me, I compare my own thoughts to Rotten Tomatoes after the fact. Like, after I've done a review, I'll go look and see kind of what other critics are saying. And if a movie is between the 20% and the 80% range, it means almost nothing. Like, there's yeah. just there's almost no way to know for sure, you know, how you're going to feel about it. If it's in that 80 to 100% range, those are the great, you know, those really are generally the great movies. And if it's under 20%, those generally are, you know, movies that aren't made that well. And some people say just look at the audience score because that's more indicative, but... It- like, like, I don't want to get myself into trouble when I say this, but I think culturally we've lowered our standards real hard. And I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah. Well, it's because we're really close to the apocalypse. <laughs> so that's part of that. Um, you know, whenever I watched movies and I didn't watch them on opening day and there was time mm-hmm. to go and like look at people's reviews before I would go see it, which was most of my life before doing kind of the more intensive Sif pop this last mm-hmm. year, a uh, year or two. Um, I don't even think that I usually would go to rating systems and, and Caleb in the chat said it really well, uh, said, I see value in individual opinions and not generalized ratings. And, Agree. And that is exactly what I was yeah. trying yeah. to kind of conceptualize because I, I would go to blogs 
uh, of people who had seen the movie and they would usually say something really nice at the beginning, like I'm going to try not to spoil, talk about kind of generally my reaction. And then they would give like a, okay, I'm going to go into more detail. Here's my spoilers. I like that because I can still go and maybe see the movie and have a better understanding of what I'm getting into. It's kind of like, I don't want to go to a restaurant all the time and sit down and have a surprise meal that is going to completely jack up my system. I want to be smart about it. I want to look and see what the ingredients are before I go sit down. Yeah. You know, so similarly, that's kind of usually would be my personal opinion than anything else. Rotten Tomatoes has shifted the way we look at critical response in a very, I believe, a negative way. And I know this is this kind of serves myself a little bit in saying this, but I really believe it's true. When you lose the personal voice of the critic, like the individual personal voice, you lose the ability to know when you would disagree with them. The reason it's it's important to, I think, have someone you can look to specifically is you can go, oh, that person, I know I agree with them on this kind of movie, I disagree with them on this kind of movie, and you get to know who they are and how they see movies and so you get a better understanding of how you're going to interpret a movie. Yeah, I don't see my I, job as... And that's the whole reason we should have multiple critics. Yeah. That's the whole, that's the whole reason that it's, it can't necessarily be too oversaturated. Yeah, but you've got to create your own panel based on what you're looking for yourself because you're going to view media different than somebody else. And that's a very individual thing. But most people don't want to spend time creating a relationship with their media sources. They just want an instant feedback. And they're looking for that one number or that one grade mm-hmm. that can get them what they want. And that's why systems are created. And you guys, you you media like lover people, you guys make lists all the time. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is just a website that compiles all your guys' lists the best yeah. way that they know how. Right. Do you know? And maybe there's a better way. And, and uh, Curious Love brought up that Letterboxd has an infinitely better system for rating films. So there's other maybe potential choices out there for people to go to rather than places like Rotten Tomatoes if that's just not working for you. Mm-hmm. But People who love consuming media love making lists of their favorites and why. And at mass, when you put all of you guys together, there's going to have to be some kind of an intercommunicative system. Sure. So those are just my thoughts. It could be made that the system isn't terrible. It's just abused and misused. Well, like if you just look at that number uh, as as a like like because what people do is they go oh it's thirty two percent it's a bad movie and they haven't seen it or it's it's ninety seven percent it's a it, it's a good movie and they just you know the consensus is is all that matters but if you look at that number and you go I'm gonna wait to see the thirty two percent rated movie until uh, people I know and trust have seen it. That's useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You you need to create you know that kind of group. And for me, I have got to use it correctly. Yeah, and I have some people that'll tell me, and Aaron, you're one of them. Yeah, and maybe don't go see that one. That one's maybe not yours. Right. You like know? for instance, I loved The Shallows. I thought The Shallows was a surprisingly good suspenseful movie. Um, not a perfect movie, but surprisingly good. But I told Danae, don't ever see that movie because sharks. Because it has sharks in it, and I know how much that. We did it really. Out. Yeah. Oh. I was joking. Okay, great. All right, moving on. Oh, crap. Wow, you guys know each other way too well. I got there real quick in my mind. Well, it was also mentioned in chat earlier. I said something about, you know, sharks Sharks! in the water. Laser sharks! (sighs) So that's just too much attention to sharks. I do think it's sad that the (laughs) the main place, and am I wrong in saying this? I really feel like Rotten Tomatoes is the go to place to know whether critics like or don't like a movie. I think it's sad because I do think that system is broken. Yes, you can use it in a valuable way, but for instance, if I was on that panel, 
which I'm not, but if I was in a, I would, I would give Suicide Squad um, a rotten as opposed to a fresh. Did I hate it? No. I gave it a C minus, probably probably in the 71, 72% range if you're going to go, you know, percentage. But according to them, I gave it a 0%. That's interesting. Because it's so just it's a one rot. or the other? Yeah. That's yeah. All. Oh, let's talk about rotten fruit for a second, just as an example. <laughs> if you grab a tomato and it's rotting, <laughs> but you're like really like still willing to eat part of it, you cut out the stuff you don't like and you still consume the good part of the, of the fruit. They're not accounting for that. That's exactly right. That's the problem. Oh my God, your analogies. I love your analogies. <laughs> and my analogies love you. The baby's you getting thrown out of the bathwater. But but I st- Aaron, you're absolutely right, and and I love that you said that. And like I said, it's an all or nothing thing, and that's a problem. But I think it is because because their system is the same as it's always been. So why is it more of a problem now? It's because not because of stupid things like the fresh rating on DVD and Blu-ray covers. Yeah, because it's become Knock the that thing. Off. Yeah, but but get it's, rid of that. It's just something where people there's there's so much more gray than just yes or no. And yeah. so you have a lot of people who are trying to like rage against that system because they're standing in the fringes going. But even though it's a rotten tomato, it's still something to go see and consume because there's something there for fans or for whatever. Certified fresh is as useful to me as, quotes, (laughs) electrifying. Electrifying. It it doesn't it doesn't 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 tell me anything. Yeah, I'll give um, as we head on to uh, our final um, buried treasure, buried treasure. I will give one more shout. I'll give a shout out to the BFCA. Uh, if you go to CriticsChoice.com and look at the ratings they have for movies there, that is about 250 critics, uh, including myself, across the nation, and it is averaged by actual score. So it's not just a you know binary choice. Uh, and I think they do a pretty good job of kind of indicating you know what critics in general feel about a, a film. So I will give a shout out to that. And as we move on to Buried Treasure, we'll take one final quote from our live audience. This movie is rotten, but it's worth throwing up for. <laughs> Thank you, BDG. <laughs> Let's do some buried treasure. Danae, why don't you kick us off? Um, okay, well, we have an app or we have a TV show. Which one do you want to go I'm with? always going to pick the TV show. What? What about you, Cap? An app or a TV show? No, you got to go for app because of the killer app line in Suicide Squad. <laughs> What's the That's killer true. app line? Well, it's a, it, that, would, that would be a little bit of a spoiler. Very oh, tiny spoiler. It's oh. a line in the movie. So Okay, well, I'll go with an app. Then There's a line where she says killer app. That's not a big spoiler. You don't know where it is. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. As somebody who's on the other side, I literally have no idea what you're talking about, and it doesn't phase me. That's kind of nice. I just meant if I explained it, it would be uh, a spoiler. Oh, oh. Tell us about your new app, Danae. So my brother uh, talked to me about Summoner's War. Do, any, do you play that game, Captain? Summoners War? No. Okay. So mm. this is like a turn-based game, but what was really significant about it is that it took 30 minutes to download onto my Note Whoa. 4. Whoa! It's probably the longest time anything's had to download onto my phone. That is a big app. Yeah. So once it started to download, <laughs> it took like a while, and then afterwards, it, my phone was on for a good 15 minutes where it was just doing updates. So this is a huge massive game and um once i got into playing it i understood you know maybe why is the graphics amazing um yeah it's yeah good graphics but the game has so much going on it's like a Mm. very in-depth game it reminds me it's a turn-based you know you kind of like level up your characters and you can mix and match people who have like a turn-based rpg yeah exactly you go and dungeon crawl you fight other people like mario mario and luigi you combine your monsters to make more you know like stronger army monsters you have runes that make you even stronger and so it's like there's so much and everything has something else that can go on to it too so it's very much a learning curve 
But whenever I open up this game, I end up spending like 10, 15 minutes playing this game. And for most of my other games, it's way more casual than that. It doesn't take that much time. So I would say it's really well done. Uh, like takes up a lot of room on your phone and there's a lot of different ways to get involved with it. It actually kind of reminds me of World of Warcraft in a way because you have a guild, you have conversations that you can have, you're collecting things, there's daily quests. So it's a big game, but it's done really well in mobile. And again, it's called Summoner's uh, War. I'm never I'm never a big fan of RPGs, but I did love like the Paper Mario series and that's turn-based comment, uh, combat. So I I kind of I kind of get yeah. the appeal of it, but I just haven't gone beyond you know my Nintendo universe on that stuff. I like big apps, and I cannot lie. Thanks thanks for that one in the chat. <laughs> Thank you for that. What about you, Cap? Uh, well, t- today uh, I want to talk about a book I just bought. Um, so it's it's uh, Star Trek's 50th anniversary, and I was really worried that Paramount would drop the ball on 50th and on merchandising and stuff, and there has been a lot of really cool stuff this year. And uh, I, I bought a trivia game the other day. Finally, I've got a trivia game that has Enterprise questions, and there hadn't been one yet, so that's really cool. Uh, and it and, and it's shaped like a shuttlecraft, so that's really <laughs> cool. But, uh, but I bought a book uh, from National Geographic, of all things, called Star Trek, The Official Guide to Our Universe, and it's a textbook about real science within the context of Star Trek. Interesting. So- and it's kind of fantastic. So, especially if you really know your Star Trek... Uh, but you're not very good at science, like me. And this is a book that contextualizes it within something that I like a lot. So suddenly, like real science concepts make more sense to me. So you feeling like you're actually learning something at the same time as you're studying an entertainment thing that you love? Yeah. You're being and tricked also, into learning because of your nerdiness yeah, love of Star Trek. Yeah, it's great. And at the, and, and the other thing it does for me is because I'm big into Star Trek reference and I, I, I eat up everything I can. And the, the other nice thing about it as a, on, on the fan side as a Star Trek fan is it helps me to figure out what stuff is real science in episodes and shows and dialogue and what is just technobabble. Oh, interesting. So it's helping you kind of distinguish between the nonsense. What's the ratio between actual applicable physical uh, stuff and science stuff? And just oh, I don't know. It depends on the show. I mean, like, if you pulled all of it together, it's probably, like, 40, 60. But, like, like it depends on the show. I mean, like, like original series in TNG probably do it a little bit better than some of the others. But, um, but like, and I'm not real far into this book yet. Uh, but there, there are, there are, there are like, like terms and things in here where I'm like, oh, I thought that was just a Star Trek thing. That's an actual real thing. Okay. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. For my buried treasure, uh, I'm going to do a book as well. Uh, I am actually reading wow. Game of Thrones. I started the first Game of Thrones book uh, after being so into the TV series. And I'm about, I think I'm a little more than halfway through the first book. I think there's four out so far. Um, and I got to tell you, it is surprising me uh, how good this material is like, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I was expecting more like, you know, lowest common denominator stuff, but it's really intelligent. It's really well done. And I think I got that opinion from watching the show because there's so much, you know, um, it's notorious for sex and violence and that kind of stuff. And in the book, that stuff is kind of touched on, but it's not explicit in the way, at least yet that I've gotten to. 
um, that the TV show is. And that was kind of surprising to me. And I'm actually enjoying really kind of reliving that first season of the show. Well, the great thing the about the books page. is that the first book and the first season of the show are really mirrored. Very yeah, I'm well. loving that. It's I'm really loving that. The story shifts and changes. Uh, there are five books right now. Okay. And he's still working on however, whatever he's got to do. <laughs> We're just for book number six. Make it through. Make it through. Um, GRR. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I don't know if it qualifies as buried treasure. You know, I mean, it's obviously something people know about, but I don't think a lot of people give a lot of consideration to reading. They think the material is going to be too complex and too, and, and maybe it would be if I hadn't already seen the show. I wonder about that too. I wonder if I'm able to zone in on who these characters are because I already know them from the show. Yeah. Whereas if I had been reading the book, I might be a little bit confused about who is that again? Or, or it's a lot. It's a lot to think about because you're develop- he develops this entire you know world. So maybe so. what I'm saying is it's been a really interesting way to relive the show. You know, is is to kind of see it through the written text. So something. Lo I think- agrees with you that it's way easier to read once you've seen the show. For me, I love the books and you know the characters that he does a great job, in my opinion, of developing all of that because there's so many complex characters. I'm glad you're reading it. One of personally. the one of the interesting things is at least this far through the first book, every chapter is just the name of somebody. You know, it's just you know Caitlin or Eddard or whatever, and it just tells the story from Moo-cow. their per- or Mukau, yeah, and it just tells the story from Mukau's perspective. You know, for that chapter. And, uh, and I don't know, it's just a really effective way of telling that story and simple, but I thought genius. So simple, but genius. That's my quote. Put it on the book. Don't put simple, but genius. It's not a simple book. It's super complex. (laughs) What are you talking about? Simple makes it sound like you're reading some sort of like nighttime (laughs) book to your kids. Good night, moon. Yeah, I was waiting for you to use the word simple and the word simple and intrigue in the same sentence. (laughs) I was just waiting for that. There's a there's a warning in chat to not get too attached to Moo Cow, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Good night, Moo Cow. Also mentioned. You guys are great. Thanks so much for joining us for Sif Pop today. Sif Pop is part of the Shoe the Dough podcast network. You can find out more about it and other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler.com slash Shoe the Dough. That's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Shoe the Dough. Huge thanks to today's guru, Captain Logan from Geekvolution. Captain, you got anything that you want to plug? Yeah, uh, so Geekvolution, uh, youtube.com slash Geekvolution. We've got uh, live shows, two live shows every week, uh, Sunday night at 8 central time. It's uh, Geeks Not Nerds Live. We do a conversation about uh, random geeky topics and uh, all insightful and intellectual and stuff. And then we rant about things and we complain. And then on Mondays, uh, The Curious Lil and I at 10 p.m. central time do uh, Comic Late Night where we count down our favorite three comic books from the last week and Daily content, every day, reviews, conversations, all kinds of fun stuff. Also, much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make the show and others on the Shoe the Dough Network possible. Support starts at a buck a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find more at patreon.com slash shoe the dough. Also, if you have a podcast or know of a podcast that you'd like to see on the network, let us know. All feedback is welcome at Danae at gmail.com. Boots and cats and 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 boots and c
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.